You know, I can't help but wonder if, 2,000 years ago, as a Jerusalem crowd waved palms and spread cloaks while calling out, Lord, save us, if the people had very different expectations about what that meant, or even about what was going on. But was the first Holy Week a failure just because it didn't meet with expectations? And how about today? What are you expecting from this Holy Week? And what if those expectations aren't met? How can you receive all the Lord has for you this Holy Week? We'll talk about it coming up next. Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Patrick Conley. Welcome to The Inner Life. I'm Patrick Conley. Grateful that you're with us just a few hours away from Holy Week. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 2,000 years ago, the God King made his way into the holy city, the seat of both God and King. The spirit of rescue, of deliverance was palpable. What was going through people's minds then? when five days later, that same God King hung on a Roman cross. Holy Week, with all of its wonderful mystery and paradox, is nearly upon us, and we could view it as just one more turn through the liturgical calendar. We might get caught up in the many tasks that tend to slip into these holy days. But how do you honor all the preparation you've been doing in Lent and really receive what the Lord has to give you this Holy Week? That's our focus today here on The Inner Life, making the most of Holy Week. Our spiritual director today is Father Joseph Johnson, the pastor of Holy Family Catholic Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Father Joseph, welcome. Good to be speaking with you. Thank you, Patrick. Good to be with you as we come to this threshold of Holy Week. Indeed, indeed. I am I am uh, spiritually excited, uh, and uh, some of that is spilling over into my physical excitement as well. Well, as we... Uh, as we think about, let's start at the beginning. Let's think about Palm Sunday, Father. What's the significance or importance of Palm Sunday? And uh, I guess the obvious question, why again do we call it Palm Sunday? Yes, well, and I, and I think we have to back up a little bit, too, because it's a bit of a confusing day. You know, the Church's liturgical reform, uh, you know, came out in, in, in bits and pieces, so actually, when, when we think about the reform of the liturgy as we have it, uh, uh, the, what we, we've got is we think of it as the fruit of the Second Vatican Council and, and the implementation uh, of the conciliar decree on the liturgy, but not for Holy Week. Holy Week actually was reformed by Pope Pius Twelfth in the 1950s. So okay. the reform of Holy Week predates uh, the Second Vatican Council by a decade. And what we find then is, of course, they made a second pass at it uh, after the council, and, and so different things were changed and, and the like. But what we have, uh, we call it by shorthand Palm Sunday, uh, but it's actually, its official title is a very kind of mouthful. It's, it's uh, Palm Sunday of the Passion of the Lord. <laughs> yeah, that is a mouthful. Yeah. Uh, and then also, depending on, on your particular parish, but here in the United States, our bishop's conference uh, has has given us the permission to follow uh, the old uh, custom, which is that from last Sunday forward, 
uh, crucifixes and statues, sacred images uh, can be veiled. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. And, and that began what was a, a period of time that, that this current week, along with Holy Week, were known as Passion Tide. You know, right. the, this, this, this time of meditating on the Passion. And so what you have is that, that last Sunday used to be Passion Sunday, and this Sunday, Palm Sunday. And then in the, in the course of the liturgical reform, they got combined into oh, one. Okay, yeah. So Palm Sunday of the, of the Passion of the Lord. It's now one day instead of having two separate. And that's why we have two Gospels this, this Sunday. We have the Gospel of, of the Lord's triumphant entry into Jerusalem with the waving of palms, right, that gives right. The, the day its name. That's at the procession at the, at the start of Mass. And then at the normal position of the Gospel, we have the Passion. And for Palm Sunday, the Passion is uh, revolving according to the three-year cycle from the Synoptic Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so this year being year A, it's the Gospel according to Matthew. Whereas when we hear the Passion on Good Friday, it's always John. It's always in the Gospel of John. Mm. But, But Palm Sunday varies. So maybe that's too much liturgical nerdiness, uh, Patrick, and, and all, but it, it, it kind of sets the context for a lot of stuff that's going on here and how the veiling of images just kind of seems to start a week early because we haven't really gotten into the passion and all of this yet, but it's, it's just part of these how the, the messiness of life and, and things change and develop over time. Right, right. Well, and too, Father, I, I, I will delve just briefly uh, into the liturgical nerdiness with you. And one of the things that I've noticed, as uh, you well know, as you were my pastor when I came into the Catholic Church, but uh, uh, there were, in my former Protestant churches, in, in uh, on Palm Sunday, we would spend a lot of time reflecting on the triumphal entry and reflecting on all this meant, and uh, as I mentioned in the opening, kind of some of the paradox, the mystery that's going on here, the fulfillment of prophecy, all that sort of thing. And I have to admit that um, when we have the opening gospel at Palm Sunday in our Catholic faith, um, and we get our palms as we're coming in, perhaps we're part of the opening procession, all that's great. But then it's not long before we've left all that behind, because now we're into the reading of the Passion. And so uh, that's, I guess that's one of the reasons why I wanted to reflect a bit with you on Palm Sunday, because sometimes it seems to me anyway that it kind of can get overshrouded a little bit without really delving into it. No, I, I think so. But I think that kind of whiplash from the triumphal entry to the arrest, the, 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 the Passion, you know, and then the death of our Lord, uh, and then the, the subsequent whiplash from from the, the ignominious death of the cross to the resurrection, right? right. It's, it is, uh, it, I think that's something what the original apostles felt like, too. You know? <laughs> Good point. Good point. <laughs> you know, that things are bouncing around in all different directions, and, and they don't know where to hang their hat. You know, uh, where, where are we? Are we, uh, are we in triumph here? Are we in sorrow here? What happened? And they're disoriented, uh, fearful, and they scatter, mm-hmm. right? And, and again, you mentioned at the beginning of the program this question of expectations. Right. You know, you, you could say, why is it that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they witness miracle after miracle, 
why is it that they didn't recognize these miracles are signs? You know, and in fact, sometimes when we study the scripture, we'll talk about the gospel of signs that that uh, we have, you know, starting with the, the changing of the water into wine at, at Cana, the first miracle of our Lord. Uh, we, we find there it's not because Jesus didn't want the party to, to fade, you know, and, and there be embarrassed hosts. Uh, each one of his miracles, yes, expresses a tender compassion, a care for the individuals involved, but it's given as a sign of who he is, a sign of the mission he has come to accomplish. Because, uh, you know, there are times when Jesus doesn't heal. You know, there are times where Jesus has, has been healing all day, then he wanders off to pray and then his disciples find him and oh, Lord, Lord, they're, they're, you know, the sick are all lined up. They're wet. They're ready for you. And he said, "Nope, we're moving on to the next town mm-hmm. because for this I came, you know, to to preach the kingdom." And and he didn't come to cure every single sick person. He didn't come to abolish sickness. He raised a couple of people from the dead, but he didn't abolish death. You know, so so it's it's this question of of expectations is so important. And the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees had very rigid expectations of what the Messiah was going to look like. And, and so Jesus doesn't fit into their box. You know, first, they, they think he's from Nazareth, and no prophet comes from Nazareth. You know, they don't understand that. They, they, they you know, all sorts of things. You know, with his humility of, of, of being a carpenter, known as a carpenter's son, you know, all of this, his challenging uh, of some of their, you know, customs, rather than just falling into line, his refusal to get embroiled in a military strife with the Romans. You know, they, they were thinking, you know, the Messiah is going to come on a, on a shining, you know, white steed and throw the Romans out. Right. right. Uh, so, so again, the expectations. But you and I have expectations that we need to, to adjust as well. <laughs> I, I am certain about that, and we will get into that here just very shortly. Our spiritual director today, Father Joseph Johnson, pastor of Holy Family Catholic Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. What do you love about Holy Week? Is there a one particular aspect in Holy Week that you most look forward to every year? Do you have a story about when God met you in a particular way during Holy Week? We'd love to hear from you. Call us up at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, or send us an email, innerlife at relevantradio.com. All right, so basing on this, Father, basing on these these expectations and that sort of thing, um, well, yeah, you you said it. What are some of those expectations that you and and that we all tend to that you tend to observe in the people that you shepherd, and that uh, we all tend to have, perhaps without even recognizing it? Well, I mean, the the great mystery that is here is the mystery of suffering, right? Mm-hmm. That that Christ embraces suffering, that he comes as a suffering servant, as Isaiah had prophesied, and not simply as a victorious conqueror. You know, his victory is the victory of love that has suffered, not the victory of a soldier that, that uh, you know, slew his enemies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you and I, when we suffer, Patrick, I, I don't know about you, but, but for myself and for 
I think every other human being I've met, uh, we don't like it when we suffer. And <laughs> that's true. And the, yeah, good. Thanks. I'm glad I'm not out on a limb there. <laughs> You're uh, not. And and it's part of the question that that Martha and Mary were asking. You know, Lord, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died, right? We have the sense that if God is present, we're going to be spared bad things. And so when we suffer, the first question is, where are you, Lord? You know, and then if if we have the, the the faith that okay God is here with us, well then why aren't you doing something about this suffering? You know, if you're here and you have power and you love me, why would you let me suffer? Mm-hmm. And the the only answer to that is the passion of our Lord Himself, right? That that He came not to abolish suffering. Uh, he came to share. He entered into the brokenness of the human world. He took our suffering upon himself. So he he brings meaning to suffering, and and that the suffering and and the ultimate suffering of death is not the last word, but that that he he opens it up uh, to new life. So that new life that happens. Uh, obviously, the, the 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 most manifest way is is, is eternal life, the, the, you know, the resurrection of the dead, but but also a new life even through through the sufferings that happen to us that don't cause our death. There's something new about our life that can be brought out of those things too. God uses all things for the good. Scripture says he he is capable of bringing good even out of evil, uh, and he refuses to let evil have the last word. Yeah. Amen to that, and thanks be to God for that. Wonderful. Uh, Father, I'm, I'm curious then, knowing that this is what the Lord is inviting us into, and particularly to encounter most poignantly in this Holy Week, again, casting our vision back to Palm Sunday in the beginning of the week, um, should there be a note of caution in our crying out Hosanna and our waving our palms? I mean, or is it is it more of we just need to understand more or open ourselves more to the ways of the Lord? You know, we, we all need to acclaim uh, the Lord, and and it's hard to praise Him when we're suffering, you know, to go back it to that. Is. Uh, yeah. But, but you know, the, the, the book of Psalms is so wonderful because it gives the whole range of human emotion. There's psalms of praise, there's psalms uh, that seem to be, to be the cries from the deepest moments of despair, you know, from the depths I cry out, you know. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think... Uh, shouting out Hosanna, praising God is a great thing, and we shouldn't feel guilty of it. Uh, but at the same time, we shouldn't feel guilty when we're in the doldrums and it's difficult to praise God. We just have to realize that there is to life, and especially to our emotions, uh, an up and down, a roller coaster. Uh, and so we see that roller coaster in a very compact way in, in Palm Sunday, uh, but, but our lives, to a certain extent, uh, mirror that. Uh, and our emotions as well. Uh, and it can be very jarring sometimes to be at a certain point, spiritually or emotionally, at a low when the church is, is praising and, and rejoicing. Uh, or it can be jarring if, if I'm just on top of the world, and now the church is, is talking about suffering and the cross. And uh, 
but but that's all the, the the things that we need to wrestle with, because out of it all, out of our encounter with this great mystery of of the Lord's life, death, and resurrection, there's a there's a transformation that's taking place, and everything that's authentically human, meaning both our joys and our sorrows, have a place within yeah. the life of Christ and within the mystery of our of our uh, redemption. Mm-hmm. It's a good reminder, certainly to be sure. We are speaking about making the most of Holy Week, which is nearly upon us here on The Inner Life today with our spiritual director, Father Joseph Johnson from the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis. Do you have a favorite part of Holy Week that you look forward to every year? Was there a time when God met you in a particular way during your celebrations of Holy Week? What was that like? Share the story with us. We'd love to hear from you. 888-914-9149. Again, 888-914-9149. Or send us an email, innerlifeatrelevantradio.com. We're going to take a brief break here, but we'll be back with more of The Inner Life right after this. This hour is sponsored by St. Gregory Recovery Center, helping you or a loved one live a substance-free life. Information at relevantradio.com slash Gregory. That's relevantradio.com slash Gregory. Welcome back to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio on RelevantRadio.com and, of course, on the Relevant Radio app. Glad that you could join us for this hour as we're focusing in on how to get the most out of Holy Week, or perhaps a better way of putting it is how to make the most of Holy Week. Because Father, our spiritual director today, Father Joseph Johnson from the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis, and Father, um, I'm just thinking that it does, there is some responsibility on our part here to, uh, to, we have to make some choices here in entering into Holy Week on how to receive what the Lord has to give us. So maybe just some suggestions about what we can do, the choices we can make to enter most profoundly into this Holy Week. Well, I would say the first thing is the choice of how you spend your time. You know, uh, there is a great difference in kind of, you know, parachuting into to part of Holy Week here or there and embracing the fullness of it. I am I'm constantly amazed how many people have never been to all of Holy Week, the, all of the Triduum liturgies consecutively together. Maybe this year we go to Holy Thursday, maybe last year we go to Good Friday, whatever, but to actually have walked through in a, in a row all of the liturgies uh, I think that's a minority of our people. Mm-hmm. And I think we don't realize how rich it is until we go through all of it together. You know, we start Holy Thursday, the Mass at Lord's Supper, like we start every Mass, so the sign of the cross, the greeting of the people, but we don't end it that way. Right. It's not ended in a normal way. There is no final blessing and dismissal of the Holy Thursday Mass. And so there's a procession to an altar of repose, and then usually the church remains open uh, for some hours, maybe all the way till midnight, uh, for quiet prayer, this kind of garden altar to, to keep vigil with the Lord who said, can you not watch one hour with me as he was in his agony in the garden? That's kind of the idea of, of that extended uh, time for personal prayer following it. But there's no dismissal, no final blessing, no dismissal on Holy Thursday. Good Friday, we arrive, and there's no beginning, send the cross or greeting. The liturgy just picks up. 
And at the end of the Good Friday liturgy, there's no final blessing and dismissal either. And so what you can just even, if again, uh, you know, looking at the, the, the liturgy itself, it tells you this is all connected. What we began Thursday evening has, has not been finished yet. And it, and, it, and it picks up on Holy Saturday evening at the Great Easter Vigil. And there it comes to, to completion. Uh, and again, it's, it's quite the commitment of time to do this. But boy, does it pay dividends to see the whole mystery unfold like this and just set everything else aside. You know, that, that this is, is the most important time of the entire year. And I know that maybe there's a little bit of the child in us that wants to say Christmas is the most important day of the year. Uh, <laughs> but, but in fact, Christmas is the preparation for this, right? right. Uh, and, and I know we don't get gifts at this time, so maybe we don't like it as much. Uh, although I'm sure there are plenty of chocolate eggs and, and, and bunnies out there uh, to, to indulge upon uh, on Easter. But, but to, to, to just enter into these days... And let everything else fade. You know, um, I, I always find it jarring, you know, to, to even have the radio on. Sorry, I know this is a radio show. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, at least, to, to, let's say, non-Catholic radio on those days. Uh, right. You know, to, to just listen to music or anything like that or, or, or watch a TV show even. None of that makes sense to me. It all seems so jarringly out of place with this great mystery that's unfolding in these liturgies. Mm-hmm. And, and I think if, if we were to, to double down and commit our time to those liturgies and then you know, sort out the rest of those days, that they're, they're different and allow space for contemplation of this mystery, I think we would get a lot out of it, not just at that moment, but then every other Mass of the year whether it's a daily Mass on a Tuesday in ordinary time, or, or whether it's a, a solemnity you know, of Christ the King or whatever, every other Mass becomes richer because we've walked through this great mystery in the Triduum, in this extended fashion, uh, because every other Mass is just a, is a recapitulation, uh, a, a shorter encapsulation of, of the mystery, of the Paschal mystery that we celebrate over these days. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, would would say that that's been one of the transformational parts of my own Catholic faith that has drawn me deeper and deeper into relationship with the Lord is to take part in each of the, the Triduum liturgies. And maybe, Father, it would be helpful just to go into some of the some of the things that people would experience that is different from an ordinary Sunday Mass um, should they attend Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and the Easter Vigil. What are some of the unique features of each of these liturgies? Yeah, so Holy Thursday, uh, we, we first of all, uh, we empty the tabernacle before Mass begins. So all of a sudden you see who's on autopilot, which in- includes me some of the time. <laughs> you you want to walk in the church and immediately genuflect. And you go, oh, wait a minute. The tabernacle veil is, is peeled back. There's, Jesus isn't there. You know, so I need to shift gears. Okay, what do I do if I don't genuflect? Okay, I bow. I bow because the, the Eucharist is not present. 
so I bow. Uh, you know, but but again, that's a jarring thing. But we're about to celebrate the Mass of the Lord's Supper, remembering the gift of the Holy Eucharist. Uh, so we start by not taking that gift uh, for granted, uh, by actually having the Eucharist already removed. We we also have at that at that Mass the beautiful washing of the feet. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that is a remembrance of of what Christ Himself did, and and there is a great tie. You know, this mystery of God's love for us that's been given to us in the Eucharist, we're meant to carry that love out into the world. You know, this this mystery of Christ who came as a servant, right. we're called to be not just his servants, but to be uh, of service to one another as well. So all of these these things, they, they, they draw their, their richness of meaning uh, from this uh, and then again, we talked about at the end of the of the Holy Thursday liturgy, this Eucharistic procession, uh, where we then end up at an altar that often has been beautifully decorated uh, as a remembrance of of the Lord's agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, and that that we have that invitation to keep Him company there. You know, I think of that often too throughout the year because we have a perpetual adoration chapel here. You know, uh, so that that question, the Lord, can you not? spend one hour with me. You know, that's a question for us. Can't I take an hour out of my week, not just Holy Week, but but every week uh, to, to spend with the Lord? Sometimes we get into seeing prayer as a chore, as a burden. I got to do this. I have this. Oh, well, I guess I really should do that. Instead of nobody ever makes me spend time with my best friend. You know, that's not an obligation. That's not a burden. That's not something I have to be coerced to do. Do we see that at the Last Supper, Jesus says, I call you my friends? And do we see prayer as, an, as a response to Jesus' invitation to deepen friendship with him? Uh, come and spend time with the Lord. You know, sometimes we see God as a vending machine. I pray when I need something. I want this and that and the other. Instead of just, let me delight in being with the Lord. Again, not that I'm going to get warm and fuzzy feelings every time I go to pray. But, but again, if we meditate on Holy Thursday, maybe we reevaluate our entire prayer life that way. Mm. And then Good Friday, of course, we, we have the Passion. And maybe go, oh, I already heard the Passion on Palm Sunday. Do I have to listen to it again? Uh, no, you know, the, the Passion is all about the fact that God's love for us has no limit. And how... I mean, do you really get tired of someone saying that they love you? <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think we usually like being told uh, that we're loved. Yeah. And, and that's what the repetition of the passion is. It's the depth of God's love for us, right? Uh, it's God's response to our lack of love uh, is, is an, an outpouring of love without limit, uh, and so to go through that passion, and then what always brings me to tears is the veneration of the cross. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and as a pastor, I know the story not of every member of my parish, but of of many. And so as you watch the people come forward and kiss the cross, and you go, ah, that person just got diagnosed with cancer, mm-hmm. you know, and I can see they're bringing their suffering. And they're uniting it to the passion of the Lord. Ah, that person who's coming up now just lost a child. 
you know, and they're bringing that suffering up and uniting to the passion. Ah, that person there just lost their job. You know, that person there suffers from depression. That person there, you know, is estranged from their spouse. You know, you, you, you begin to see, and, and by that physical act, we're, we're incarnate, right? We're body and soul. I'm not a soul trapped in a body. Uh, my body plus soul is me. Right. And so by, by, by putting my body there, by, by kneeling down and kissing the cross, it helps me in my soul to remember to unite all of the pain and suffering in my life to that suffering of Christ, knowing that, that as I share his passion, I'm going to share his victory. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, on uh, Holy Saturday, we have the Great Easter Vigil. I had a person who was Protestant who was coming into the church, and they had been very involved in their, in their Baptist church before. Their Baptist pastor had tried desperately to persuade them not to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the end, uh, they came into the church. The Baptist pastor came and attended the Easter Vigil. Wow. And that pastor may not have overcome uh, theological differences with Catholics, may not have uh, overcome whatever prejudices against Catholics, but that Baptist can never say that the Catholics don't do Scripture, because for an hour straight, <laughs> we walked right. through the, all the Old Testament story from the beginning, from Genesis yeah. and the creation, you know, all the way building up to this, uh, you know, and and so for Catholics that tend to be minimalists and look at our watches and whatever... Uh-uh. Nope. Set, leave your watch at home. You know, yeah. set it aside. Don't worry about it. You're just in for the mystery. You know, uh, you know, we, we can give three hours to the Super Bowl. And, and even if our team's not playing, right, uh, or even if our team is playing and has never won, uh, but we don't we don't begrudge the three hours to the Super Bowl. Why would we begrudge three hours to the Easter Vigil, to the resurrection of Christ? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I, I think we really sometimes need to realize the church's liturgy, uh, is not a burden to us, but a blessing. Uh, and that sometimes our reaction to how long it takes is a reflection of the poverty, uh, with which we do, we, we, we have, uh, you know, in our hearts towards the Lord, you know, St. Jose Maria Escrivá. Uh, he's a great line. I wanted to put it on the top of every liturgical program I ever print. He says, you say the Mass is too long, I say your love is too short. <laughs> I love it. Right? I love it. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, saints can get away with that. I don't know that my, my parishes would take it well if I said it, but, <laughs> but, uh, but it is something there. The, 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 this, this should not be a time for minimalism and, and just getting by, mm-hmm. but just throwing ourselves into the richness of the liturgy. And of course, the Easter Vigil, even before we get to that beautiful, long build-up of the, of the scriptures from the Old Testament, uh, we find that we begin in darkness. Right. And then we, we bless a fire, and from that fire, we light the, the big Easter candle, the Paschal candle. And from that one big candle representing Christ risen from the dead, we all in the congregation light our little candles. And it's one of the most sublime moments of the year to look out there in this completely darkened church and see all those hundreds of flickering candles. You know, now my maintenance crew hates it because they drip <laughs> wax sure. all over the pews and the floor and all of that. But you know what? It's worth it. It's right. worth it. And to see that, and this is what the mystery of 
of this is Christ's life, which has conquered death, is shared with us. That flame that started with that one candle and has now been shared with me, I share Christ's life. You know, and, and there's so much, just even for that one little image of the candle uh, that we could reflect upon and, and learn and grow in our discipleship. So Holy Week is a reset, getting away from checking the boxes and being on, on cruise control to really rediscovering the beauty and, of the mystery of, of Christ's love and how we are called to be disciples and live in union with him. All right. Well, our spiritual director today, Father Joseph Johnson, pastor of Holy Family Catholic Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Do you have a particular memory of a Holy Week uh, that you that God met you in some profound way. We'd love to hear from you. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Perhaps you're a convert like me. Certainly, my very first Holy Week coming into the church was a was a tremendous experience, and uh, you would like to share that. Or perhaps you're even getting ready to come into the church this Holy Week. Give us a call. Tell us what's that what that's like. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Again, eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. Or you can send us an email, innerlife at relevantradio.com. Well, Father, with all these explanations of, and thank you for that, for all the, the different things that take part in, in, the, uh, in the Triduum liturgies, certainly as, as I was just referring to, one of the pinnacles is at the Easter Vigil, we celebrate any uh, new baptisms, any adult baptisms of people who are coming into the church. We receive uh, people who have already been validly baptized into the church. They receive their first communion, their confirmation. These sacraments that are part, part, are part and parcel that why on the Easter Vigil? Why, why, do we, why do we do that at the Easter Vigil most profoundly? Well, all of the sacraments uh, in one way reflect this Paschal mystery you know, this Easter mystery. Uh, and so, of course, baptism, it, it is the new life that is given. Uh, we are freed from, from original sin. Well, that's the fruit of the cross, being freed from original sin. Uh, we are incorporated into the church, uh, you know, a divine adoption uh, into the, the mystical body of Christ. Well, that's, that's the fruit of, of, of the cross, and, and that's expressed in the Eucharist. Right, that 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 communion, union with Christ's body and my body become one, right? In in that, right. and confirmation is the sending of the Spirit. Well, Jesus sent forth His Spirit; He gave up His Spirit on the cross, and that Spirit uh, was then given to us at Pentecost, which is the bookend of this. Right? That 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 you know, this is what Catholics sometimes again we fail. We're better at fasting than feasting. Sometimes we spend forty days of Lent. And then we go through Easter and click on Easter Monday, we're back to how we were. No, the church says if you fast for 40 days, you're in a feast for 50 days, all That's the way right. to Pentecost. Yeah, I love you know? it. Yes. And, yeah. and so, so all of the sacraments, confirmation and that outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that's all part of this Easter mystery as well. Mm-hmm. So, so that's why right there. And I think sometime we, we can say, oh, do we have baptisms this year? Oh, no, that, that's an extra 20 minutes, you know, or, you know, whatever. Instead of saying our church every year should have row after row after row of people uh, receiving the sacraments and coming into the church. If you and I were doing our part to evangelize, that would be the truth. Mm. Uh, and I remember hearing uh, my home diocese of, of Dallas, where I grew up, 
some 20 years ago or whatever, there were two parishes that, that made the news because they each had a couple hundred people coming into the church. And I'm like, woof, that was a five-hour individual probably. All right. Yeah. Uh, but I'm like, what a beautiful fruit. You know, those parishes, not just, oh, they must celebrate the liturgy well. No, they must be living the faith well. They must be sharing the gospel well with the people around them. They must be a light in their community. And the members of that parish are out there giving witness to Christ and saying what a difference he makes in their life. And that, that's bearing fruit in the people that are then signing up for RCIA and coming to the church at Easter. Mm-hmm. If, if we see a, a paltry number of people coming in, uh, I think, you know, it's not the fault of the Holy Spirit. Now, people have free will, and so people can say no, and they do. But it's also you and I have an obligation to evangelize. Are we doing our part? And, yeah. and so we've got to ask ourselves that question. Yeah, yeah. And that's another great way of spending, of spending Holy Week. Who's somebody that you can talk to about the Lord, maybe even invite along to one of these sacred liturgies that are coming our way here in just, a, just less than a week's time now today. If you have a way that God has met you in a particular way in Holy Week, if there's something you're looking forward to about this Holy Week, we'd love to hear from you, 888-914-9149, or send us an email, relevantradio.com. We're going to take another short break, but we'll be back with more on making the most of Holy Week right after this. If you are in the market for health insurance, our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help you and your family find the most cost-effective health plan. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash forester. Welcome back to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio. My name is Patrick Conley. My thanks to Nick Sentovich, our producer, and Thomas Angus for taking some of your phone calls there as well. Our spiritual director today is Father Joseph Johnson, pastor of Holy Family Catholic Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, and we are speaking, speaking about Holy Week and how do we enter in? How do we get the most out of Holy Week? Because there's a lot the Lord would have to have given, would, would give to us this week if we but avail ourselves of it. And uh, Father, let's take a phone call here. We've got Tim who's calling in from Eden Prairie just down the road from you, Father. Tim, welcome to The Inner Life. Thanks for calling in. Yes, thank you. Um, this has been just a fabulous conversation and explication by Father on the riches of the Triduum, one that was never very... Um, or that was completely new to me and my wife. We never really partook in years past. And um, anyways, my, my wife entered the church last year and it was just an incredible moment to go through the whole thing, starting with Holy Thursday. And um, it, it really is the whole thing. Um, but one thing in particular was just that first night um, and the, the, this isn't the right word, but the, the teardown or the, the pose of the altar at the end of the Holy Thursday Mass. And 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 then just, as Father was saying, just, you're just kind of called to kind of be with Jesus um, at the conclusion of that, of that Mass. Um, that was just a huge, um, just punch, not a punch, but just a huge thing. And I just remembered even going back that night, getting the boys down, um, and just literally being like pulled back to go back to church just to be with them a little bit longer. Um, it was just such a 
a deep moment. So that was my two cents on the on the thing. Thank you so much for the show. Thanks, Tim. And, and what Tim is referring to, if if you're not familiar with this, that that after the liturgy finishes, actually um, the 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 priest uh, usually comes out with some helpers to what we call have the stripping of the altar. Uh, and and so literally it's it's what it sounds like. Uh, you take the the altar cloths off the altar. You remove the candles uh, and and any flowers that had been there and all that, and you just strip the sanctuary bare, right? And it's that starkness uh, that then that you're going to walk into for Good Friday. Uh, you know that that we've we've done this. There's a beautiful uh, painting in the Minneapolis Institute of Art. Uh, by the great uh, artist Anthony Van Dyke of the arrest, the betrayal and arrest of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in it, uh, Jesus is pictured there with Judas kissing him. And, and Jesus, Ju- Jesus is in his uh, blue garment, and he's, he's handing off his red cloak. And the, the colors, red and blue, are theologically used throughout the history of art in, in a particular way. And usually, blue represents humanity, uh, and red represents divinity. And so you see Christ stripping off his divinity to suffer in his humanity. Wow. And that's, that's, that's what comes back to me in, in this moment of the stripping of the altars as well, uh, after the end of the Holy Thursday Mass and, and procession. So it's a really powerful moment. Thank you, Tim, for, for bringing that uh, to everyone's attention. Yeah, excellent call, Tim, and I'm I'm right there with you. The stripping of the altar is one of my. Uh, I always, uh, if I may, look forward to it. But uh, it is it is so powerful for me as well. Let's take another phone call. Dave has been patiently waiting from calling in from Chicago. Dave, welcome to the Inner Life. Thanks for calling. Hi. <clears throat> yeah. So I was just I wanted to call in and say like I have my own personal prayer time in the morning, like ten to fifteen minutes, and I've been doing Jose Maria Escrivas, Saint Jose Maria's, um, the way his little book for the last like almost two years now. Um, just a little quote a day, and today it just so happened to be the, um, you know, you say the Mass is too long, but I say your love is too short, and I, and I felt really called to go to adoration after my prayer time, and as I turn on Relevant Radio, which I usually never do this time, Father mentioned that that exact quote, so I was like, okay, I got it. Maybe I should go to the Triduum, the triduum this, this year. Um, so yeah, I thought I'd share. Amen. You know, I love it. I love it when the the Holy Spirit comes through and confirms something. Uh, You know, sometimes we do. We get a little nudge ourselves through something we read or hear or or just a little inspiration in prayer, and then God will send some external kind of confirmation on that. So, uh, amen. And I hope you're going to have a beautiful, rich uh, triduum going to those liturgies. That's right. That's right. I love it, Dave. Great, great story. And yeah, these little these little coincidences, these little nudges we get from the Holy Spirit. It's it's a good thing to pay attention to them. So wonderful. I hope you enjoy the Triduum this year. I hope that it's uh, very meaningful to you. Well, Father, um, we got an an email that was sent in from Anonymous who said, "Could you suggest a way to celebrate Easter with my family members who are not Catholic?" What do you think about that, Father? Sure. Well, you know. If your family members are Christian, uh, then, uh, of course, 
that we we celebrate with him, just go to the Bible and, and read. You know, take take the parts that we would read at Mass uh, and read those together as a family and 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 discuss them and and pray the Our Father together. You know, uh, or or discuss. You know, what does it look like to be a servant? Christ knelt down and washed the feet. What does it look like? Or affirmations. You know, I want to say to you. Uh, that I appreciate what a servant's heart you have that you bring to our family. Uh, that that when we want to go on date night, grandma and grandpa say, absolutely, go, we're going to watch the kids. You know, or when one of us is sick and you bring us something to eat or, or whatever. So so focusing on the common ground. If if our family members who are not Catholic aren't Christian, uh, what other kind of common ground can we find? Well, uh, if we have Jewish family members, what about a Passover meal? You know, uh, we actually do that in our grade school uh, and have a Passover so that the, the children, uh, the students in school can understand this is, is part of the foreshadowing uh, of this mystery. Uh, this is what Jesus was celebrating with his disciples at the Last Supper. Here's the context for it and all that. Maybe we do that uh, together uh, with family or friends who aren't Catholic. Uh, and if our and if our family don't have any particular faith or, or not Jewish or Christian, you know, what are the things that we can talk about? What are the themes that we can bring out of this? Sacrificial love, generosity, you know, all these things. Or just even a sharing. I know that you have a different faith. You know, maybe you can speak to me about what are the guiding principles in your heart? And I can talk to you about the guiding principles in mine. You know, or something like that, or maybe you are Catholic, but you got little kids, uh, and and or or you have someone sick and you can't go to church, or you live somewhere where it's it's a long drive, or or it's a mission church and they don't have all the ceremonies there. Do the best you can at home with your children, or just by yourself, or or what have you, uh, to to walk through these days. You know, if. If you're not, you know, uh, encumbered uh, with with other kind of obligations, but simply it's not available to you, there's live stream, uh, you know, and, and the like of that. It's not the same, but it's better than nothing. You know, find a way to participate that way. Uh, but if it is trying to make things in bite-sized chunks so that the little ones can, can enter into this and they can start to ready at an early age, realize these days are different. You know, tell the story in, in the way that the children can understand it. You know, and there are plenty, if you don't want to tell it in your own words that way, there are plenty of children's books that tell about the Last Supper, about the cross, about the resurrection. Uh, but invite them into it. Light a couple candles. Have a cross. Veil the cross. Unveil the cross. Have everyone kiss the cross. We can do these things at home. You know, and, and, and during that three-month shutdown at the beginning of the pandemic, right. people were. People shared beautiful stories about how they lived it at home. So, so we can still do that uh, when, when for circumstances don't allow you to get to, to church to do it as part of a parish community. Right. Right. And that was certainly what leapt through my mind, and I'm sure many of our listeners as well, Father, when you mentioned doing doing it at home. And I hope, though, yes, I, I completely agree and understand with what you're saying, uh, uh, with doing your best, the, be- the best that you can with what you have. But at the same time, I'm also uh, struck by how just that one experience of doing it at home, doing the best we could at home, made me thirsty to return and do this together with my Catholic brothers and sisters in the sacred liturgies in place, all together celebrating these wonderful, wonderful times. 
Well, well Father, it's you, uh, we're sorry. Go ahead, Father. Please. I, I say, you and I both know someone from our former parish where uh, it simply he'd been away from the church for decades and happened to stumble into the church on a Good Friday uh, yeah. as the cross was being venerated. And all of a sudden, uh, a great grace of the Holy Spirit was given to him, and he came forward weeping and kissed the cross. And after that, the rest of his life, he was at daily Mass, and he belonged to every committee in the parish and did <laughs> nonstop work. I never knew what group was meeting because he was a member of every single one of them. I'd walk in the door, and there he was. I'm like, okay, which one is this? You know. Uh, again, there's a power to these liturgies and a power to the sacred time. Uh, so please, let that power be unleashed in your life. Amen to that. I think that's a great place to leave it right there, Father. So if uh, with that, with the just other addition of your blessing, please. We adore thee, O Christ. We praise thee because by thy holy cross thou hast redeemed the world. We ask you, Lord, to bless us with your cross. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Yeah, thank you, Father. Joseph Johnson has been our spiritual director today here on The Inner Life. We've been speaking about making the most of Holy Week. If you missed any part of the show, make sure and check out the show page at RelevantRadio.com or from your favorite podcasting platform, just search for The Inner Life. Coming up next, we have Father Ben Johnson with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. That's always a great thing to stay tuned in for, as well as Family Rosary Across America at uh, 7 p.m. Central. So make sure and put that on your list as well. A blessed Holy Week to you all. Until next time, grace and peace.